0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassat and with me as always is my good friend Benjamin Hunting. He's also an automotive journalist, I should add. Ben, say hi to the people. Greetings, human listeners. Uh, Ben and I, you can find our automotive content all over the internet. You can find my stuff at autoguide.com as well as its YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and type in Autoguide Video, and I'm sure you'll find something with my dorky face on it. But Ben, he writes for so many different publications. That's why I'm so lucky to have him on the podcast. Ben, can you tell me one of the latest um, articles that you've written in which publication – we can find it in.
1: Keep an eye out for the cover of Super Street coming up in about a month or so. There's a cool Lamborghini twin-turbo Huracan GT3 Super Trofeo. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I just felt like throwing in a ton of describe descriptors for that vehicle. But that's a pretty neat car, so that's going to be a fun story to read.
0: I just, actually, I want to add, Super Street is one of the coolest magazines out there. How much fun has it been writing for them?
1: It's amazing because Sam Du is a great editor to work for, but more than that, he is the kind of guy who has he just has a nose for finding interesting cars and then getting people to talk to us about them. And that's the key to any kind of enthusiast coverage is just being able to tap into that community.
0: Now, this week we have some – well, I mean, they're not the most interesting cars. I'm sorry to, to give away a spoiler alert to all of our listeners who are like, well, I wonder what they're going to talk about.
1: Wow, thanks, um, for, thanks we, for just telling everyone right now to turn working. off the podcast.
0: <laughs> I'm really good at, at branding our, our publication here. But you know what? They're new. They're, they're in a very hotly contested segment. I'm going to talk about two luxury crossovers, and you're going to talk about a pre- um, a, an affordable crossover. That's it's not right.
1: right. Which one did you, would you like to start with?
0: Let's start with the brand-new 2020 Mercedes-Benz GLC class. Okay. Um, This is a car that I went all the way to Frankfurt in in Germany to drive. Um, And I have to admit, I was expecting a far more substantial refresh with this vehicle. It's important because I always found the GLC to be a pretty good car and an alternative in its class to all of the really sporty and aggressive vehicles like, say, the X3 and maybe the Q5 and even, say, like the Alfa Romeo Stel- uh, Stelvio. Um, and this, is, this has always been the more comfortable, luxury-oriented product. And I was wondering what they could do to make this product better.
1: So is it, is it a full um, redesign or is it a refresh? It's a refresh. Okay. And one of the most important things that
0: they have done is they've incorporated that 48-volt mild hybrid um, technology that you're seeing in a lot of other Mercedes products, and they've paired that to a new four-cylinder engine. So the 48-volt will help with fuel economy. It'll turn off the engine a little bit more proactively um, and give it a little bit of boost in, in certain situations. It will also enable for a new air suspension system that allows the mercedes GLC to feel a little bit more confident off-roading. In fact, guy...
1: Is it that crazy system that we saw on... Uh, the GLE? Yeah, the one that bounces it's, up and down and does all that weird stuff.
0: It's not that robust. I think they wanted to keep the GLE with its own, um, you know, killer feature okay. being that. But you know what? The, the guys I was driving with, um, they specifically worked on the G-Class, and they said that... They think that this can do like almost ninety percent of what the G class can do um, in, in certain situations. I mean, what, what it, certain
1: in, situations. What does that mean? Does that mean like sixty percent of the time it, it works have, every time? Yeah, it doesn't have you
0: know the the same sort of locking diffs. But for everything that doesn't require that kind of technology um, or that kind of feature, it will it'll definitely do the job and then some. It was it, it was extremely good, and I always wondered why they would put so much effort into making the GLC an off-road capable vehicle it now has an off-road two off-road settings uh, because everything needs two settings off-road and off-road plus duh
1: <laughs> when um, you're not, when you're not sure if you're really <laughs> off-road that's when you use the first setting and then when it becomes clear like when the yeah. sign shows up that says you are now off-road like on the side of the trail that's that's the off-road plus time
0: um, and it has this very interesting um, air suspension system I think it get it can raise up like 12. Uh, it can ford up to 12 inches, and I think it has uh, over 9 inches of ground clearance. So just, pretty,
1: just .3 inches more than a Subaru Forester. Just want to point that out. I, I think it's
0: actually almost an inch more. I, I'm just being general because I don't have my direct numbers here. Okay. Let yeah, why find them for you. you bring those to the podcast? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, 9.6 inches of ground clearance. <laughs> okay. okay, And 12 inches of uh, fording depth. In fact, the guy with was with said that he could probably do another inch um, if you go – uh, carefully enough which challenge I thought, accepted or, yes um i was i was impressed with this kind of stuff i mean why would mercedes do this that's the real question i have i yeah. thought that the the glc is a very family-oriented vehicle but maybe they've done some research and they found that um the one brand that they're not doing sort of the the conquest has to be maybe land rover and now they're going for the land rover faithful here that's it,
1: that's, I th- that's, that's, that's my an only reason. idea that's an interesting idea um the thing is, you know, remember back in the early 2000s or mid-2000s when every crossover that came out from a luxury company had to have, like, some kind of hardcore off-road component? I think you could get a uh, low-range four-wheel drive with the Volkswagen Tiguan. Sorry, not the Tiguan. The Touareg and the Cayenne as, at the same time. It also had, like, a dual-speed transfer case, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And the X5 had a crazy off-road function at that time. And, then and it still does now. Well, no, it doesn't. still does. I think there was, like, a gap. We're like, yes. maybe for, like, eight years, they were like, no one cares about this, which is accurate. And then now they're starting to market towards that again. Yes. Um,
0: now, here's, the, here's my problem, and you're going to hate me for saying this. All of this 48-volt stuff that I'm talking about and this air suspension system, yeah. not available in our, in our market yet. Why
1: are we even talking about I'm it I'm
0: sorry. This is a problem, and I have this. I, I really have this issue. We need to talk about it because it's what makes the, G, the new GLC, the refreshed GLC, special. And they did not include it in our market. So, so I don't what's know it's f- different on our cars oh my God I really wish I could tell you like <laughs> it's significantly different but it's not okay it has a very light exterior changes very very light exterior changes the infotainment system has also changed uh, obviously we have um, MBUX or MBUX as Mercedes M bucks in this car and uh, that's it man Wow so.
1: Here's what I'm going to – here's how it feels This sucks, me. right? Can I lured, tell you? You were lured to Frankfurt with the promise of off-road fun, and you got there, and they were like, psych, it's MS. Yeah. <laughs> it's not much. And, I mean, it is a new engine. It has a new, a new
0: engine code, but it has pretty much the same um, output as the outgoing engine, the 255 horsepower and 273 pound-feet of torque. Um, it hits highway speeds in about six seconds, which isn't bad for a small little crossover. It has um, – rear-wheel drive or 4MATIC, um, depending on your market. So the Americans will be able to get a rear-wheel drive version, and Canadians will only get all-wheel drive. Okay. And it has that nine-speed automatic transmission, which is usually very good, but I, I, I had some really weird uh, jerky transmission uh, shifts, really? especially on a hill with that product.
1: Now, Ed, before we get to the transmission, which I want to hear more about, the off-road functions, is that something you have to add as an option, or does that come with all the all-wheel drive models?
0: It is something you have to add with the air suspension, I believe. Okay. 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 So what
1: was happening with the transmission?
0: It would just slam into gear um, at time, whether you're going uphill or downhill. It seemed very unsure of, uh, of how to do it smoothly, which is a shame because I find Mercedes powertrains to be very smooth most of the time
1: yeah but we, we've encountered some cars like this cla where they're not necessarily like some of their lower powered four-cylinder cars mm-hmm. where there have been issues with uh, the dct and how that's acted so mm-hmm. it's it's not you know across the board kind of thing it, you think it's just a teething thing or growing pains I, or
0: i can only hope it's a teething thing because like i said i was driving european models with the 48 volt system which um which i guess they're they're learning to kind of Make, make sure that the new engine and the new transmission are working with this new 48-volt system. So I imagine, I imagine it is a teething issue there. Okay. The, the other thing is I drove the um, AMG GLC 63 S, which is the high-performance version of this car. It features a 4-liter turbocharged V8 that makes 503 horsepower and 516 pound-feet of torque. And we are getting this car, so this is good. All of this information is useful to you. Yes, um, it gets the 4 Plus all-wheel drive system, which was, I think, first introduced on the E-Class. So what does, you remember, what does the Plus mean? It means that it can send, like, almost all of the power to the front axle or the rear axle as needed.
1: I was kind of hoping it meant, like, it had a set of extra wheels that would, like, deploy <laughs> and it would become needed, yes. 4Matic plus 6, like, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> And it's like training wheels, and it just drops down and gives you a little bit of traction in the corner or something. Which
0: is extremely necessary when you've got 503 horsepower on a car this big.
1: That's a lot of horsepower. I mean, uh, I know the X3 competition and X4 competition are coming out, the M versions, Mm -hmm. very soon. And they have about the same power.
0: It's so interesting to talk about these um, high horsepower luxury crossover, compact luxury crossovers. Yes, the X3 M and the X4 M are coming out. Um, and there's the Alfa Romeo uh, Quadrofolio, which also has a boatload of horsepower. Uh, Mercedes backs up its performance with a Nürburgring lap time, if you're interested in knowing that specific number. No. It's something like 7 minutes and 49 seconds, okay. and I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's other numbers after that. Immediately but. forgotten. <laughs> Um, But this thing, it sounds great. Every AMG has this amazing soundtrack. It is like, what is your favorite soundtrack? It's got to be like the Space Jam soundtrack or the Lion King soundtrack that when you listen to it, you're like, oh, this makes me feel good. The Mercedes-Benz AMG, um, it it has the same effect, but it's a different – like. It, it, it does in it a different way. So you're just, saying that just fantastic like, rumbling and noises and all that jazz.
1: Just like when I put on the Lion King soundtrack, when I turn the key on the AMG, I'm gonna want to get busy. Oh yeah! Can <laughs> oh. you feel the love tonight? Okay. Um,
0: it is so much fun to drive. It hits highway speeds in under four seconds. Um, <laughs> it's so
1: crazy. I, I know. Mean, <laughs> No one needs this vehicle, and I'm sure it's like on a track. It's competent, but not fun, which is like how every crossover feels on a track. But yet they're compelled to build it because someone will buy it, right? And they're it's like it's like, the, it's like the hydrogen bomb of
0: <laughs> of vehicles.
1: It's like just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should do that thing. Uh, I agree, man. It's a, it's a crazy car, and you
0: can and you can you can really have fun with it. I'm impressed. Um, it too has a weird nine-speed dual-clutch transmission that was also unresponsive at times, oh. uh, particularly coming up to like yields or roundabouts where you'd be slowing down and you want to get rolling through it, but you could feel it kind of not sure what gear to not what gear to pick yet, and then it picks the gear and then it it takes off. It's a very it's a very delayed response, which is something I was not expecting from this product. So,
1: so is this an all new AMG or is this like again a refresh? It's a refresh. Okay, so what's different?
0: This has the new interior of the GLC, so it has that new infotainment system and the new screen on the infotainment system. And bucks. Um, and it has a better um, what's the word I'm looking for? Materials.
1: Okay. So and that, and that new all wheel drive system. Right. Okay. So, uh, anything? I mean, if you were to somebody was like, "Hey, Sammy, uh, I'm considering buying just a, a regular GLC." Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there anything compelling about this vehicle? It, is it no, style? I would
0: almost recommend them to get a 2019 or a 2018 because it seems like they all have. Unless you're really in love with MBUX, that's the product that you'd be you'd be really gunning for. Mm-hmm. But the GLC is a very good, competent car. I like the way it handles its business, which is very smoothly. It has it has a very nice cabin, um, nice materials, good layout, but. I was expecting more from this refresh than just the MBUX. And if the North American market gets the 48-volt like system with that air suspension, then we're talking. Then we've got a, a brand-new car that's worth talking about. But- and
1: instead, it's just being sent to all those Europeans who love off-roading, which is a huge market from what I understand. <laughs> Shout-out to anyone listening to us in Europe. If that's true, if you if – you- are an off-roader and you're you're living in europe or you you are friends with people who are in the off-road community we would love to hear about that because it's something we don't get to hear in north america you know like we we have all these these stereotype is we have this massive open land in canada and the u.s which is true um but you know there's parts of europe that are equally rugged and we just don't get to hear about the off-roading culture there so we would love to hear that hear about that if you want to talk to us
0: um and you know, you can get the GLC in so many different models. You can get it with a, as a standard SUV, you can get it as a coupe, you can get it as an AMG, uh, and both of those come in those formats as well. So, I mean, that's one of the, the compelling factors with this car. I guess the X3 and X4 are similar in that way. But I'm really disappointed that you couldn't do. we couldn't get more. In this uh, refresh.
1: Well, well, now that you've talked to us about kind of a disappointing refresh, there's another refresh that you drove recently, mm-hmm. and you went to Newfoundland this time because, of course, that's where you would drive this vehicle. But uh, I'm very curious. It's, it's the new Porsche Macan, and I say new with an asterisk because, as I understand it, it's not completely new. But I want to find out what's different about this vehicle.
0: Okay, so we drove the Macan S, and
1: the S has a brand
0: new engine, all new engine. Okay, it's the three-liter turbocharged V6. It has that hot V setup that puts the turbo between the cylinder banks, and sort of like it, the, the 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 distance for the exhaust gases to travel is much less, so it's supposed to be much more responsive. Um, it makes 348 horsepower and 354 pound-feet of torque.
1: Is that it, very similar to the previous S? I don't know. I think it sounds very close. Ballpark, anyway. Um, It uses a
0: seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, which is a a PDK sort of deal. And it has an all-wheel drive system that can send up to 100% to the rear wheels and up to 70% to the front when needed. Okay. Okay. Um, It also gets a bigger infotainment system that has Apple CarPlay support. They've also redone the suspension pretty significantly, and the models I had came with an air suspension system uh, – Mercedes, I hope you're listening uh, – <laughs> with an off-road function that raised the, the suspension and ride height quite significantly. What about
1: Off-Road Plus?
0: No Off-Road Plus. Uh, I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to say that. Maybe you the other models. You can also finally get it with that um, sport response um, button and dial. There's a little dial on the steering wheel, which you can switch between comfort, sport, sport plus, and an individual mode. And in the middle of that, bu- of that dial, it's a button that you press. And Ben hates it because it gives you the most aggressive settings for 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Right. Um, so they're trying to add the sort of gimmicky features of the other 911s and other Porsche products they into should, this product. They should just uh, call
1: that the road rage button. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like, all right, Bl- time to blow off some steam and put a lot of people in danger. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's not danger. You just no, not back. at all because you're a pro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it also gets – the 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 front suspension has been redone. They've swapped out a lot of the steel components for our aluminum. Um, and they've also tuned this air suspension. It's a very, very, very smooth. I was not expecting this because the last I remember on Macon, it was a little bit of a choppy drive. It felt more – towards the, the sporty side of things than the comfort side of things. And I find that this new Macan S with the air suspension feels so smooth. Um, a truly luxury car in that regard.
1: Well, that's, um, that's, that's interesting because, you know, the Macan was kind of the the athlete of, the, of its segment. It, it was right. definitely a more engaging drive than any of the other luxury vehicles. And I find that it still has that
0: character. But can also change into that more sedate car
1: that you need it, to be. okay, so you're saying that maybe the Macan now is is comparable to a vehicle like the velar uh yeah, maybe the Velar's a bit big, I find, okay, or or I guess kind of wedged between the velar and the um a vehicle that I can't even remember now the the base um range rover evoke the evoke yeah which yes is, which i can
0: is, find it very comparable to the evoke and i've yet to drive the brand new one which you drove yes I think in greece was that it
1: yes a couple months ago
0: which is we, i can see this being in that setup but of course you know land rover really or range rover really boasts its off-road capability and yeah i, don't think I, the I mean the con is quite there yet
1: the evoke wasn't uh particularly sporty to drive but it was very comfortable
0: okay um the interior of the Macan is is okay. I really hoped it could uh, improve the interior with some of the other aspects that Porsche have shown in their recent um, new vehicles. There's no digital gauge cluster. There's a really nice digital gauge cluster in some of the new Porsches, um, and this doesn't have that, which is a shame. Will no it come, of,
1: do you think it'll come in the turbo?
0: No, I don't think so. I think this is going to – it'll have to be a new platform thing, a new generation thing. Okay. Um, so that all of it—it it, it, it has to be. I don't know why, but that's just the the feeling I have. Uh, there's also still that huge button soup going on by the gear. Ah, uh, uh, yes. The the gear stick. You row know what I'm talking upon about? row of buttons. I do of know exactly.
1: Buttons. I mean, it's it's not ugly, but it's confusing.
0: Right, um, which is a bit of a shame as well. They've also, you know, they've the, you can't. But I can't knock Porsche's um, effort here. They've done a really good job of making this car. Um, better and they have insane attention to detail you would never you i would never i would never believe this but they changed the brake they wanted to change the braking feel and response and the way they did that was they lightened the actual pedal by 300 grams and they matched it to a shorter like lever arm so that it, it feels a little bit more responsive. Um, that sounds like, pure, that sounds like
1: pure marketing to me.
0: It's, I think it's, it's weird. It is a very interesting um, thing. They've also made the front rotors uh, larger and wider. And I think the brakes felt really good. Um, I think, I, I don't know what I was expecting here. I, I, like I said, the McCon was always the athlete of the group, and the, and the S in particular was very good. I need to talk a little bit about that new engine, though. Okay. It does zero to 60 in just under five seconds. It has a top speed of 157 miles per hour. So it's a pretty quick car. Um, off the line, it doesn't feel super fast. Ooh. But in motion, it there's no lag. It feels really good in motion. It feels like the responsiveness is right there. So I'm wondering if that lagginess is from the dual clutch side of things, which is usually a very good dual clutch. And yeah, I think,
1: Porsche doesn't usually have a lot of that.
0: So that's right. And um, but it is a very good engine. It sounds great. It could uh, it could make passes with ease, even if you don't use that silly button on the steering wheel.
1: Now, uh, did you have to do any moose avoidance maneuvers while you were in Newfoundland?
0: I didn't, but you know what? I did see a moose um, up on a ridge, and I didn't even believe it when we passed it because it was so still, and it had a bi- uh, like a like a calf with it, a smaller um, moose with it, and it was this light. It was a, a very lighter shade of brown. So we were driving up to it. and I'm like. Those can't
1: be real. Like they're just standing there. And then it so made eye contact patiently. with you, and you saw the history of that moose through its through its own perspective. And, uh, I thought so- we were going to talk about my my mystical powers. <laughs> and you had so much more respect for the power of the natural world.
0: But as we passed it, it moved its head, it switched its ear, and then it actually quickly dis- disappeared into the forest. It's impressive to see such a large animal um, just disappear so quickly. I was you expecting know? that.
1: Very similar to, hopefully, the SUV craze. <laughs> um, but you know what?
0: Of these, you know, I'm talking about two cars, which I think compete more or less in the same class. I, I think the GLC and the Macan, they're not that far apart. No, not at all. I agree. And I would much, rec- much more recommend um, the Macan for the people who are looking for that, especially the S model. Um, I think this would compete more with the, this, the GLC 43 when it arrives, um but i hadn't get a chance to drive a refreshed 43 yet.
1: And what what about passenger room? If you're comparing the two of them yeah, I mean, in the second the row Makan, like
0: Yeah, that's where the Macan really really falls apart. Really? Uh, I think the rear seats are a bit tight for grown-ups and the cargo space is also a bit, a bit limiting. Um that's probably the worst part about the Macan. So it's more of like an empty nester or a uh, young no no kids sort of family uh, they could really enjoy this car.
1: I don't know, man. It's it's like it's it's hard to because Porsche makes so many other vehicles that are for empty nesters, right? Like, yeah, nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and the the Cayenne is a very practical vehicle. I think so, the Cayenne
0: is a perfect family vehicle, and the and the Panamera. I think yeah. those are fit for for families.
1: So then, when you have something like the Macan, it's like, hmm, where does this fit exactly? Small? Like, could you put young kids back there?
0: I think so. Yeah, you can definitely put younger
1: kids back there. Okay. Okay. Well, that's not so bad then.
0: I'm I'm. What I like is that the Macan, the Macan never truly feels like a like a crossover. At times, it's fun to drive. It's fast, um, and it, it, a lot of the, the controls and dials and, and it just is familiar to somebody who's been in a nine eleven or seven eighteen before. Um, and I think that's a good thing. You know, so many times we talk about some products that sh- that do some part sharing with like um, switchgear yeah. to a car that is not very high end we're talking like a Cadillac that has Chevrolet parts in it yeah. or a Lexus that has Toyota parts in it. And for the Macan, you don't have that. Oh, what is this part? What is this, this piece?
1: No, most of that's under the skin.
0: <laughs> and I think that's, that's a far more interesting, imp- uh, a far more important first impression for a luxury car buyer.
1: Are there people falling over in the background, Sammy? Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. They're all, they're all good though. <laughs> um, so, I, I have a, a vehicle that I, I've been curious about driving for a very long time, actually, since it was announced, and I just haven't been able to fit it into my schedule. But I was able to find a booking, and um, I spent a week with the to- Toyota CHR, and I have to say, Sammy, mm-hmm. not super impressed. But that's really interesting. Okay, so let's go back
0: about the history because you said that you were very excited to drive this thing. And it's probably because when it was first announced, it was under a whole new – a whole different brand name than it currently is in. Yeah, it so- was originally announced to be a Scion.
1: And and, and I know you're you're a huge Scion fan. Um, I don't bought, know about you, that. You bought a BRZ because you couldn't get a hold of a Scion, and it was the next best thing. It was the other way around. <laughs> and uh, I've I've always had you know Scion made some interesting vehicles. Ultimately, they were unable to find a customer. And well, they made of... weird
0: cars. That was the best part about Scion, yes. wasn't
1: it? Yes, and so the CHR is to be to be fair in that tradition. It is a vehicle that is I I wouldn't say out of step with the market, but definitely headed in a, in a more interesting direction stylistically and not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. So um, when I said, when I saw that that vehicle was mm-hmm. going to become a Toyota, when they weren't just going to, obviously they were just going to walk away from it. They developed the vehicle. Mm-hmm. They, they had all sorts of money put into it. Scion disappears and they kind of had this orphan and they're like, what do we do? We'll sell it as a Toyota. That's problematic, I think. And, and I think that if this vehicle was not a Toyota, I might've liked it more.
0: So do you think that the brand – like that branding and that brand DNA is embedded into this vehicle to be – to still – like it's still in there. There's still a Scion feel to this thing and it feels out of place in the Toyota lineup?
1: Yes, definitely. I think that this is a vehicle – when you look at uh, how a car company positions itself and the vehicles in its lineup, how they fit into the overall impression that someone has of that brand Mm -hmm. – it's important. It has to be cohesive because if it's not, then you just have a used car lot in your dealership, in, in your in your showroom. And okay. no, no car company wants to have that, right? So right. you walk into Toyota and right away, this CHR just looks out of place. And you get inside of it and it's the same kind of thing. It's like, this is sort of like a Toyota, mm-hmm. but it kind of seen through a, a distorted lens.
0: I think I agree with you. It's very interesting. We were talking about Switchgear and the luxury cars. The CHR has very different looking switchgear than other Toyota products. Like the the buttons are all kind of like weirdly angled. They've got a different font
1: on them. It doesn't look like a Corolla or a Camry. You know what I mean? No, not at all. And and you know that continues if you look at the ceiling of the CHR. There's a pattern of like triangles or polygons. <laughs> Triangle. Triangle. So it's an it's a rotary product. If, yeah, they're they're <laughs> carved into the ceiling into the headliner, and it's like. You really have to look up to see them if they're not in your line of sight. And someone was like, "Yeah, let's do this." And okay, I get that if it's Scion and you're like, "We're weird and and funky and we have a mohawk," but it, it, it's like, this is Toyota where it's like we sell the Camry and, and they have this and the Rav Four, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's just it's it's kind of it's kind of strange. And there's one other thing I want to talk about on the interior. Several weeks ago, we talked about the infamous LCD clock. Yeah, in the Corolla. It is present and accounted for inside the CHR. In fact, I took a picture of the, the infotainment system, and a friend of mine messaged me and is like, is that a microwave? <laughs> because, and then once he said that, I, I couldn't unsee it. It was like, yes, that is a microwave. And why is it on my dashboard?
0: <laughs> okay. I want to I wanna make a few arguments for this vehicle after you start telling me um, what you liked and didn't like about it. So hit me with it. What, what was the situation? What's under the hood?
1: Okay. Under the hood is a 144 horsepower, four-cylinder engine. It is borrowed from, I want to say, the Corolla. Is that right, Sammy? I don't. Yes. I, let's say yes. It's a two-liter- Why wouldn't it, right? Two-liter engine. But here's the problem. So uh, this is a very heavy vehicle, um, perhaps more heavy than one would expect. It's 3,300 pounds. So I just want to break that down for a bit. A, about a month ago, we talked about the Nissan Kicks. How much does the Kicks weigh, Sammy? like 3000 pounds. No, like 2500 pounds.
0: Oh right, that's right.
1: That's the crazy Miata. I forgot about that. The Miata of crossovers is the Nissan Kicks. So already we have that the CHR is dealing with a 800 pound weight penalty. Mm-hmm. But even more important, I mean obviously the Kicks is kind of like an outlier. The C, the H the HRV from Honda is 400 pounds lighter than, than, the, the, CHR. than the CHR. Holy yeah. cow. So you're dealing with a fairly heavy vehicle that does not have a lot of power. Right. Uh, I didn't expect it to be quick, which is great because it wasn't. <laughs> and it has, a CV, it has a CVT, which is, you know, when you pair a small displacement, low output engine with a very heavy car and a CVT. You it's, get wonderful noises. Right? Yeah, it's it's a recipe for some, some thrashing. Yes. Uh, so that wasn't great. Um, if okay, you, so the powertrain in this situation... Not ideal. In, if
0: I remember correctly, this is a front wheel drive only car, right?
1: Yes, that's another thing. I mean, so's the kicks, right? So we can't really we can't really fault it there. But I believe the HRV offers all wheel drive. Yep. Um and the Kona. And the Kona, which is a great vehicle as well. So we've seen other examples in the segment, which is, you know, smaller crossovers or raised hatchbacks, however you want to look at it, that not only are lighter and have a better power to weight ratio, but also offer more features. So w- when Scion as a brand existed, they were like, OK, there's only one version of this car and take it or leave it. Toyota doesn't have that num- that uh, kind of approach in the market. So there are trim levels, mm-hmm. but there's just not very much equipment that you can add to it. You know, it's like it's it's not... Particularly competitive against other other models, which is too bad because this is the kind of like stylistically. If you look at this, I mean, it's it's not unattractive. It takes some risks, and and that that's kind of cool. But it's hard to cheer for it when it's such a bland product, right? Um,
0: space-wise, any interesting things in terms of what's going on inside the cabin? You mentioned what? there's there's I mean, it's got that gnarly uh, what do you want to call it the the digital gate uh, digital clock. That's not great. No, but, you know
1: it's not small inside. It's the same platform as the Camry, uh, so it's it's got a decent amount of room. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a ton of cargo space. Uh, it's 19 cubic feet behind behind the main seats, so that's that's what you get in the full si- in the trunk of a full size sedan. Mm-hmm. So it's useful, but again, we're talking more hatchback than crossover. Um, Thirty six point four cubes if you fold it, so you can't even double it. I mean, that's not that's not yeah. great. Uh, um, I found that the, I found that the CHR
0: was surprisingly, um, interesting to drive. Beyond, I mean, if you got over its weight, which is difficult to do, I found that it's, it had pretty good steering for what it is. Um, it reminded me of just how successful the rest of the, uh, TNGA products are from Toyota.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a good platform. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like if this had been a Toyota from the start, it would feel more upscale. And someone okay. at, at Toyota, someone engineer would have been like, guys, this is too heavy. What can we do to fix that? And maybe it would have received attention that would have made it more competitive. But if if you kind of look at where it fits in the Toyota lineup, I mean, what's the next size crossover up from this vehicle? It's a RAV4. Right. So the RAV4 is great. I mean, right. what it does, it's great. Uh, this is not a, this is not a worthy lead up to the RAV4. And if I was someone who, let's say my family had had a RAV4 and I'm, I'm a young person and I've moved out and I'm excited about getting my first Toyota and Mm -hmm. I, this is what I could afford, I would be disappointed. So
0: like, here's the real question in Europe, this car is offered with way different engines than what we get. And there's an all wheel drive version of the car. Um, specifically with a hybrid, if I understand correctly. But there's also a small turbocharged version of the car. Now I don't think we could get we could get that tur- that small turbo in the CHR. But if it had a turbocharged engine, say 1.8 or or who knows something else that Toyota can can source, would this be more interesting? Or if it had an all-wheel drive hybrid powertrain, do you think that would be interesting too?
1: I mean, it's hard to say. If it's it definitely had, I, I'm ask, I'm asking to speculate. Right? If it had a more responsive engine, then I think you would be able to maybe get over the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it has the smaller engine exclusively because they want to protect RAV4 or if, because it's just cheaper to do it this way. And I I don't fault them if that's, if that's the true, the case, uh, but it, it really feels like this is a vehicle that was built to a price for a customer that isn't usually in a Toyota showroom. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Um, what are there, are there any redeeming factors in this thing? I mean, I hate I mean, it looks, get- it looks decent. It does you know? look cool, actually. It does, and the rear doors, uh, the rear door handles, are really well, cleverly
1: hidden. I guess so. I mean, I, I've kind of gotten over that. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you're seeing it more and more, right? Uh, so it's it's not it's it's not really a selling factor to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, Scion failed because for for many reasons, but I think not being able to connect with a Customer base that was willing to come back again and again is part of that, and we're kind of see this is like the tail end of Scion, so this is a this is a product designed for an unsuccessful car company, and as a result, it's not necessarily going to connect with current buyers anywhere. You know, yeesh. Okay. Well, Scion didn't know how to do that. They didn't okay. know how to make it work. So I think that part of that is tainting the 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 CHR. It's not like it's not like the FRS, which was a joint product that had a vision that was larger than the Scion brand. So I right. think that that's kind of why when it moved over to Toyota and became the 86, it was easier to accept that as a Toyota because, for one, Toyota has a history of building sporty coupes. Um, and for another, they had they, when it was originally designed, it was something that I think it, a flagship of the Scion brand perhaps, but also a car that had to appeal to Subaru buyers, so it had to have a broader focus.
0: Okay. That's a That's a very... Good perspective on, on the CHR and something that I didn't uh, always consider when uh, I've driven it. I, do you think this is a redeemable car? Do you think there's a future for the CHR? Do you think it can be fixed with, with refreshes or I don't, gener- next generation product?
1: I really think this will be a single generation vehicle.
0: That's crazy. Dude. I think
1: it'll be replaced with something that's much better. And I don't think they'll call it the CHR. Uh, I, I just, I can't see Toyota going all in on this. I don't have sales figures for it. I don't know how well it's doing. Um, but if you want to be competitive with something like the, what Nissan's offering and what Honda's offering, you're really going to have to bring it. And this vehicle's not doing that.
0: And what Hyundai's offer. I really think the Kona yeah, is, no, the is probably the best in its class.
1: The Kona's eating a lot of lunch right now
0: from, um, from a lot of car companies. A couple of weeks ago, you drove a Lexus. It was called the UX. Yes. Which is a very similar car in size, um... And performance, I think, maybe not performance.
1: Well, uh, I, I, I didn't really want to compare those two vehicles because the oh. price points are so different.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, and, one is at least ten thousand dollars more expensive than the other. But can you take out all of the? First of all, we gotta get rid of that infotainment system in the Lexus, right? Yeah. Number one, uh, and all of the associated hardware for that. The
1: the Lexus <laughs> drove better. There's no question. Okay. In my mind,
0: how can they? How can they take that experience and make it? A little bit more like a like that Toyota. They seem like similar car, similar sized vehicles, don't they? They can't be that far off.
1: Yeah, but they don't. They don't. I mean, if you look at a at a at a NX, it doesn't drive like a Rav Four. That's true. So that's they're that. not necessarily, yeah. Just they're filling the same size niche. But I think that Toyota is generally pretty good at understanding its customers. Um, I mean, they went through with Lexus a phase where there was it was hard to tell a Camry apart from an ES, right? Yeah. But uh, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Right. So I, I don't know if I don't think that they could turn to Lexus and say, Can you fix the CHR? <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe maybe they could they could nurse it along for a couple more years if they wanted to do a refresh like that. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah.
0: That's honestly that's my take on it. Um but thank you for sharing your, your especially with the experience that you had um, with some other smaller crossovers, like the kicks, for example, which which uh, is
1: great you know the kicks is fun to drive and it's yeah. cheap it's super cheap and and it, it, the interior it, I mean we talked about the piano black and how it doesn't wear well and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but I was able to overlook that
0: you know like you also get Android auto you get a little digital screen for yeah. your gauge cluster
1: and it's like if if Nissan can do it with the kicks and Toyota is doing this with the chR I mean, it, it it really feels like a let's go back to the drawing board kind of thing. I mean, unless you would just want to sell a placeholder vehicle and you don't intend to have a very competitive subcompact crossover, that's fine. Oh. But it, it kind of no. But it, it, you got to fill that space so that your your show your your salespeople can can move those vehicles and get people into the Toyota family. But if you're doing that at a price where, or sorry, if the price of doing that means maybe they don't come back for a Rav Four, you got to think about that.
0: It's very interesting. I mean, if they just jack up the the Corolla hatchback now and call it the new... Small cross. Yeah, I mean the Corolla that is could, great. That could do the job.
1: I mean the for what the Corolla is, I wrote I would recommend it to people right alongside okay. the Civic. I don't have an issue doing that, but I can't recommend the CHR. Okay. I don't even particularly like the HRV, but <laughs> I would recommend it over the CHR.
0: The, the 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 HRV has a lot of space. I mean that's its one thing. It has a, a lot of space for people and magic seats, which are always yeah, a fun little games. But it's dead slow. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Cool. So. You, you know what? If you listen to this podcast and you have some things to say about the CHR or even the, the Macan or the GLC, um, please let us know what your thoughts are on these products. You can visit our website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And we've got a contact form for you to fill out there. And you can get in touch with us very easily through that. If you want to be a little bit more personal, uh, you can email us directly. It's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. And by us, I mean you'll be messaging Ben. Um, I filter dis- all of Sammy's email. Additionally, you can find us on social media. Ben is, uh, well, he's on the wonderful filtered world of Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing.
1: And if you want to subscribe to us, you can do that on the podcast website itself. We've got all sorts of fun buttons with the names of all of those places where podcasts live. Click on those. You'll go right to your favorite podcatcher. Or you can often just search from inside your favorite podcatcher for Unnamed Automotive Podcast. If you do find us and you like us, leave some feedback, send a rating. It helps. It gets us in front of a larger audience. And that's ultimately the goal is to try and help out as many people as we can with our own unique off-brand humor of automotive uh, fun. That's right. Thanks for listening. Uh, ben, what are, you, what are you driving next week? Uh, next week, I'm going to be heading to Wolfsburg to drive the Volkswagen Arteon. And uh, I'm very curious about it because the Passat was essentially what this vehicle is replacing, kind of like a mix of the Passat and the CC. Mm-hmm. And those were vehicles that were good in some ways, not so good in others, but had a very specific loyal fan base. So I'm curious to see how the Arteon captures that.
0: And I'll be driving a three-row Mercedes, the, the brand-new Mercedes GLS. And I think I'll also have some non-premium uh, three-row crossovers to talk about as well.
1: Sammy, are you only driving Mercedes these days? Was Come the Porsche on, just... an aberration? Or... No,
0: of course not. Okay. I've got plenty of other cars to talk about than Mercedes, Ben. Stop it. I just wanted to check. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care and bye.